You're listening to the teaching of Calvary Paris. For more information, go to www.calvaryparis.com. 1 John chapter 2 is where we're at today as we continue moving through our study of the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, we are actually backing up into the second chapter, going to be picking up in verse 28 today to get a running start into chapter 3. We'll be moving from verse 28 of chapter 2 through verse 10 of chapter 3 today. And if you are taking notes, the title for this message is Children of God. Children of God, something we just sing extensively about. It's a blessing indeed. And if you have been with us, you know that the book of 1 John was written by John, who's the apostle of Jesus Christ. He wrote to the global and growing church there at the close close turn of the first century. And the theme of this book is that of walking in the light, of really what it looks like to walk as a believer in this world, walking in the light of Jesus that he shines in and should be shining through us as we allow it. And if you remember from last week, John, as he wrote, was about warning and encouraging the church as he spoke honestly of the church living in the last days and within the last hour, as, as he put it. You'll remember that John joined the ranks of every other New Testament writer as he warned the church about false teaching that had infiltrated, that was infiltrating, and still today, as we discussed, is infiltrating the church in many ways. He warned the church and was honest about the danger that false teachers posed to the church. But as well, he wasn't just warning and, and, and going on about that. He was also encouraging, as the other New Testament writers are, and that he encouraged the church to not fear. To not fear, to not shrink back and to be afraid, but to lean into the Lord, into all that the Lord gives to the believer. The anointing, the Holy Spirit living within each believer, as well as the abiding in Christ, the opportunity that every believer has, and the call on every believer's life. We saw that he spoke of the anointing that the believer has and the abiding that we can do, and to do so in the wave of false teaching that is in this world, so as to stand strong with the Lord. And John gave us a message of warning, equipping, and encouraging. And if you missed it, that study is on our podcast or online. But we we back up, like I said, into chapter 2 today, because the last two verses not only solidify the message of last last week, But they also aid us in starting this week as the abiding believer in Jesus Christ, who is both solidified and strengthened in that abiding and leaning into Jesus. Well, we see there that as John writes, that he opens up about the position that the believer has in Jesus. The encouraging position that John wants to establish today for every believer, how we are how we in Christ are positionally children of God's. And as such, our subject, he reminds, to amazing blessing. John is going to speak of amazing blessing today. But as well, he's going to speak honestly about how that abiding position is shown and proved out in the practice of a believer. And honestly, is the telltale sign of true relationship with Jesus Christ. Understand that that practice, it shows position. And that is going to be a point that John makes as we read Today And prayerfully, we will see that, and prayerfully, we will seek to live according to that. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go ahead and get into it. There in 1 John chapter 2, we're going to read verses 28 of chapter 2 through verse 3 of chapter 3. We'll pray one more time after doing that, and then we'll keep going. So, 1 John chapter 2, verse 28, John says, And now, little children, abide in him 
that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, then you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. And beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you so much for this day. And Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity to be here, Lord, the freedom to be here, Lord. And for these that are here today, Lord, I just praise you. I thank you so much for the rain and the safety, Lord, and driving through the rain and everyone being here safely. And God, I just ask that now as as we turn our attention to your word and have opportunity to study your word, Lord, thank you for that. I pray that God, in this time that you would speak to us. I pray that, Lord, you would speak to us and speak so clearly to us as we all need to hear your word today. We need, Lord, your word as it is the truth for our life. And so, God, I ask today that as we seek to study, that you would help us to understand your word, to understand that it is the truth and to understand that we need the truth in our lives. And, Lord, I pray that we would seek to know it so as to live it. And, Lord, as we ask for your help, we ask for it expectantly. And I thank you that we can because you are faithful to speak. You're faithful to lead and you desire to lead us. So help us now, we ask, and I pray these things, Lord, knowing that you're faithful. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, these verses that we just read are, quite honestly, some of the most wonderful, some of the most amazing verses, really, in all of the Bible, as they simply talk about the love that God has extended to each and every one of his children. You know, if you are here today and you are in a real relationship with Jesus Christ, you are, the Bible says, a child of God. And you are who John is writing to today. If you are in Christ, then John today wants to show the amazing blessing that is upon your life, as well as exhort us to see how to live in that way. In verses 28 through 29 of chapter 2, again, they really help to lead into the section that we just read. They serve not just as a finisher, but as a framer of the mindset that every believer should have. As the believer, you see, abides in Jesus and abides with Jesus here in the last days that we live and truly stays beside, well, then there is a confidence that the believer can have. There's a confidence that we can have in the face of a world that has fallen and in the face of perhaps false teachers that would come against us. In the abiding of our Heavenly Father, we have the ability to stand. There is no fear of being ashamed because the believer is on the winning side of history. And really, again, these two verses offer a summary statement as well of what John is going to be speaking to today, both of the position and the practice of the Christian. These two verses of chapter 2 really frame them. And then John, as he launches into chapter 3, well, he speaks firmly on the position that the believer has. You see, when it comes to the position of the believer, what we see through these verses that we just read, it's easy to see that the believer in Jesus Christ is in a blessed position. I mean, what does John say there in verse one? It's so good, we should read it again. He says, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Having just mentioned being born of him, John speaks in amazement about the manner of love that makes us children of God. And he wants us to behold it. 
That is, he wants the believers, they are reading here, to look intently at what he's saying. The idea here is that of like an artist or the grand opening of something. And they pull back the curtain and they're like, behold, look at this. This is amazing. You don't want to miss this. John has that type of attitude here. And truly, the love of the Father that he has bestowed on us is amazing. Because again, in Jesus Christ, we are children of God. We're children of God. And it's important now to clarify and to understand what it means to be the children of God, what it means to be a child of God, and the truth that everyone, in fact, as John wants to point out and to get across, that everyone, in fact, is not a child of God in the sense that John is talking about here. You see, we need to clarify and make sure that we know that in the Bible, we see it explicitly from the word of God, that God's love is expressed to all in the giving of Jesus for the sins of the world. John 3.16, we know this verse well. For God so what? He loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God loves the whole world, all of the world, not just some of the world, not just the people in Paris, Texas, not just Calvary Chapel, Paris. He loves all of the world's. And as such, he sent Jesus to die for the entire world, that all may be saved. And what we see here is that the love of God is fully demonstrated, appropriately demonstrated, amazingly demonstrated, you could say, in Jesus coming and living and then dying for the sinful world. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8 speak of this. As it says, for when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man, someone would even dare to die. But God, he says, demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the Bible is explicit of God's love for us being demonstrated in the work of Jesus Christ. In his coming to this earth to be fully God and fully man and living a life in the flesh perfectly of his sacrificial death that he died on the cross, a death that he shouldn't have had to die, but yet he chose to die for us. In his burial, as he went into the ground, absolutely dead, and then came out three days later, resurrected and alive. It is that which makes a way for us to be saved. But understand that this work of Christ, it's being finished. The love of God demonstrated through it. It existing does not make all of humanity the children of God in the sense that John is speaking of here. You see here, what John is speaking of, and what anyone that John calls a child of God is one who has taken this finished work of Jesus and applied it to their life. A true child of God is one who realizes that in this world, they are born. And the ugly truth of the gospel is that they are born, we are born sinners separated from God. And what John is speaking of here is the true child of God is one who has realized that and who has seen the grace of God extended to us through Jesus Christ, the love of God extended to us through the finished work of Jesus and taken that upon their lives. They have realized that they need a Savior and that they aren't that Savior. That humanity in its own efforts, in its own merit, in its own holiness does not stand there before a holy God as able to stand but needs a Savior. We need a Savior, and a true child of God has realized that and has done something about it. The reality of Romans 10, verses 9 through 10, are very real to the true child of God, where it says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. As the Bible says, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. 
You see, it is the one who has put their faith in the finished work of Jesus. It is the one who has put their faith in Jesus and applied that faith by seeking to apply the finished work of Jesus upon their life. Those who have made a conscious decision to say, I need a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. Those are the ones that John here speaks of and says that they are truly children of God. And to them that he writes to in the first century, and to us here in this room who are truly children of God, John says again, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. And that is something, as simple as it may be, and as the words of John state, it is something to behold. It is something to marvel at. It is something to be excited about because salvation is an amazing blessing. Understand that none of us deserve. It's an amazing blessing that none of us deserve. Our sin. And our efforts, our holiness that we seek to say, our our goodness, it gains us nothing, understand, but separation from God. It is God's grace extended to us that saves us. That alone is an amazing thing. But when you think about it, even further down the line, and what John is going to be speaking about here, it is even more so, not only that we're saved, but we are counted as children of God. That we're counted as his kids, that we here are adopted sons and adopted daughters of the Lord's. That's what Paul speaks about in Romans 8, verses 14 through 17. They'll be on the screen as it says, for as many as are led by the Spirit, led by the Spirit of God, excuse me, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with them, that we may also be glorified together. See, again, the New Testament writers, John and Paul, seem to be on the same wavelength. Imagine that. The Holy Spirit inspired both of them. It's amazing to see this. It's amazing to see that salvation doesn't just show the love of God that pulls us out of an eternity destined for hell. But it also here sets us in a position of adoption and sonship or daughterhood in Jesus Christ. And it's amazing to think about because you have to understand God didn't have to do that. Like we need to understand that God didn't have to do that. He didn't have to save us in the first place. You know, our culture, our humanity, what is it like to say? It likes to say that we deserve good things, right? We deserve good. We deserve, I have the right. That's what we as Americans like to say. I have the right. Understand today that we have the need for no, no, we deserve nothing. That's what I'm trying to say. We deserve nothing except for separation from the Lord. That's what the Bible speaks of. If we're to be biblical Christians, if we're to live according to the word of God, we need to understand that our rights that we receive are from the Lord and from him alone. And it's not because we deserve them. Our life that we live, that we live in Jesus Christ is one that is given to us by the grace of God, not because we deserve it. Now, the Bible shows that our separation and our sin, all that it does is it gives us a ticket to hell, a very real place. But understand that God saw it not fit for us to be destined for that, so he sent Jesus. And as he sent Jesus, we are saved, something we don't deserve. But even further than that, he not only saw that it was good to save us, but to set us, as the Bible says, as sons and daughters, as adopted, as heirs with Christ, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. You know what that means? That means all that is there to be given to Jesus, we're right there lumped in with him. We're right there lumped in with Jesus. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are in Christ, safe sons and daughters of God. 
God went far above and beyond pity and rescuing us from hell. And he adopted you and he adopted me as you chose Jesus Christ. And as you are in Jesus, that is your position. As you are saved today, that is the position that you sit in as you have taken a hold of the finished work of Jesus. And we are blessed in that position. It's a simple thing to see, but it's, it's a blessing. We are blessed in that position. We're also blessed by the transformation. John continues on and says that we're blessed by the transformation that is, is before us as well. In verse two, what does he say? He says, beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. You know, we've said it plenty of times before, and we're going to continue to say it again, that our salvation, our being saved, is not just for us to sit and wait for heaven, right? Like we aren't, sit, we aren't saved just to sit. We're saved to serve. We're saved to change and to live differently in this world. That's the whole point of the Word of God, to show us how to live differently as we follow the Lord. You know, 1 Thessalonians 4.3, the first part of that verse says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. Sanctification is that process of moving from the old life to look more like Jesus. And that's the will of God for the believer, to change, to be different, to transform, as Paul says in Romans 12 too, that we no longer be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we may show what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. That is the will of God for the believer. And what John talks about and what he's speaking of right here is this ultimate transformation. Understand that every believer, every child of God has to look forward to. This transformation from this worldly state, this fallen state, this body that we live in to one day being glorified with the Lord. Again, something else that Paul speaks of in Romans 8 verse 29. As he says, therefore, whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. You see, the believer here on this earth, we are called to walk with Jesus, to look like Jesus. Peter says to be holy as he is holy. We're called to walk forward with Jesus out of old life and into the new and to look different. And that's sanctification. But the believer as well has something to look forward to. The believer ultimately is to be transformed into the likeness of Jesus. And what that means specifically, John here is honest about, we're not sure about what does he say there? He said, beloved, we're not children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. He's like, I don't know what it's all going to look like. I just know what's going to happen. And that's amazing. He says, I don't know what that ultimate glorification in heaven's going to be like when Jesus comes back for his church, and we are transformed there immediately with him. He's like, I don't know what that means, but he's excited about it. He's like, I don't know what that means, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And again, what John is doing here is he's setting up this blessed position of the believer. He's showing here, and it is a blessing to know that God's will for our life is not for our life to be as it was when we were born. He sent Jesus to save. And as we are saved, it's not just that we're saved and sitting and waiting for heaven, not changing at all. No, we have a life in front of us where God wants us to transform and to be new and to be different and to ultimately be renewed with him and glorify with him. As children of God, we look forward to all of these things, sitting in this position, serving in this position, standing in this position that we have. It's an amazing blessing that John here is speaking of. It's an amazing blessing that we see here. And it's one that he speaks honestly about as well, that though it is blessed for the believer, 
Well, it baffles the worlds. It baffles the world. You see, the last part of verse 1 says, Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. And John, what he does here as he moves on is he draws another line in the sands, differentiating the true believer from the world and, more specifically, the world system. Whereas the believer is standing in the blessing as a child of God and living in light of that, what we're going to speak of more in just a moment, well, the world, he says, is going to look on in wonder and disbelief. And perhaps you experience this on a practical level. You know, perhaps you experience this as you are living and walking with and for the Lord. Perhaps you worshiping the Lord, being excited about the blessing that God has put on your life. Perhaps that baffles some of those in your own life. Perhaps the putting away of sin and sinful activity because of Jesus, what we're called to, called to walk out of darkness and into light and walking in the lights. The world around us, perhaps those that we know, those that we used to run with in that old life, they're baffled by the choice to say, I I don't do that stuff anymore. Or perhaps the sharing of the gospel because of the blessing that it is to your life and the calling for every believer to share it. That baffles the world that we would have this good news that that is counter to the rest of the world that says you deserve and you are enough. And the Christians come around and say, you're not enough and you don't deserve anything but separation, but Jesus loves you. Or perhaps the desire to go to church on a Sunday morning when it's pouring rain outside and the roads are hazardous and scary. And so everyone has to put their flashers on and drive 30 miles an hour. I don't know what it is about that. But perhaps someone is like, why would you go to church on on Sunday? Why not sleep in? It's raining. They're probably not even having church today. Like, Why would you even go there? Or on a Wednesday, I mean, forbid that you would cut into your schedule throughout the week to go another day of the week. Whatever it may be, John points out that the world doesn't know us. It doesn't understand the believer. And why would it? I mean, as we talked about not too long ago as we were studying chapter 2, what is it with, with the world that it is against the Lord's? The world system in this fallen world is opposed, diametrically opposed to Jesus, opposed to the work of Jesus in this world. If they don't know God, if people don't know God, then they don't know the blessing of salvation upon their life. If they haven't taken hold of it, then why would the world understand? Which to understand is not something for us just to baffle, be baffled at ourselves. Not something to just be like, I don't know why they understand, Justin. I just, I don't know why they don't get it. I try to tell them. I try to live that way. I, I don't understand. It's not just for us to sit here and pontificate over. Understand that that brings application to us, church. It brings application to us as we ask the question, why would the world not understand? It gives us opportunity to be challenged as we live in this world that doesn't understand the life of the believer. It brings challenge really in two ways. The first, to be a believer, as the world would say, why? To be like, here's why. And to open our mouth and tell them. When the world, the coworker that we know, the family member that we have, the friend, the neighbor, whatever it may be, when they say, why would you do that? You can say, because Jesus, are you kidding me? Here's why I do that. Because of all that the Bible says about me and about what Jesus did for me. That's why. It gives this opportunity, this challenge for us to say, if the world is going to wonder, then I as a believer, I need to help their curiosity. But it also is a challenge to endure as well. To endure knowing the position that you stand in as a true child of God. To endure and to not sorrow, to not fret, to not fear in this world. But to stand strong with Jesus and say, you know what? I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. And it doesn't matter what's going on in this world. 
I see what's going on. It's scary. The news is weird. Social media is crazy. But you know what? I'm a child of God who can stand firm in Jesus Christ, knowing that he is faithful. And as I stand with him, he will continue to be faithful. I will continue to see that faithfulness. Us asking why the world would be baffled at Christianity doesn't give us room just to say and be like, I, I don't know why they're baffled, but gives us opportunity to stand and to live positionally in Jesus Christ, to live it out and to share it with those around us. And you see, John here speaks of these amazing blessings that the believer has in the position of being a child of God. And we could spend all of our time on this, quite frankly. In fact, we almost have, but John does go on. John does go on, and we are as well, as he says something there in, in verse 3, that understand acts as a hinge between verses 28 through 2 and verses 4 through 10, as John not only shares of the position of the believer, but he also wants to mention the practice of the believer as well. Let's pick up in verse 3. We're going to read through verse 10 so as to get the scripture under us, and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Or in verse 3, it says again, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. And whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. And whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. So little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. And he who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. And in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. Verse 3 here is now we speak of the practice it says again, everyone who has this hope in him that is in Jesus purifies himself just as he, again, speaking of Jesus, is pure. You know, if you're a parent in the room, perhaps your kids, I know that my boys being the age that they are, and I pray it lasts as long as it will because they're as cute as all get out. You know, there's something about their ki kids that are wanting to be just like their parents, which in some ways is bad. When my sin shows up, I'm like, ah, that's awful. But when, when it's the good things, then I'm like, man, this is amazing. And I love it when my boys come out and they, they'll, they'll come out before they get their daytime clothes on and they'll come and see what I'm wearing. And then they go back to the room to get their daytime clothes on and they come back and they're just as mismatched as I ever was. And, you know, we have to, we have to fix anything. But I just love that. They're like, I want to be like you. You know, I want to be like dad is an amazing thing that we see here. Boys want to look like their dads, girls like their mom. And what John is saying here in verse three, this, this idea of being pure and purifying oneself as he is pure, well, it's that same mindset that as the child of God puts their hope in the relationship and the future glory they have in Christ, well, then that should, help, that should aid in the pattern of their life here. You know, if we know that the move of life as a believer is to be transformed to look more like Jesus, well, then the believer, the true child of God, is going to have this natural desire as they seek the Lord and seek to grow in their relationship with the Lord to look more like Jesus. That's just what's going to happen. As he is pure, so too would we want to. It should be natural for the believer to see the holiness, to see the distinction, the set apartness of the Lord from the fallenness of this world and say, I want that. I want to look like that, especially at the finding out of all that our relationship with Jesus offers to us. It should be natural for us to be like, oh man, 
Jesus did this for me. I'm a son. I'm a daughter of the king. And I want to be just like him. I want to be as much like him as I can be. And John here, he doesn't leave the reader to speculate as he says this. And as this hinge verse is there, he doesn't leave the believer to speculate on the particulars of this verse. No, what he does is he goes yet again, and he gets repetitive, understand, but good pastors repeat themselves. He, uh, he gives, again, another telltale sign of the believer's true standing in Christ as they walk in the light. Basically, what he wants to show in these verses is that practice shows position, that it absolutely does. You see, and I love this about John. He is repetitive on purpose so that no one has the wrong idea when it comes to the relationship with God which is something to get right. It is something to get right, understand, the relationship with God that has to deal with our living here and our eternity after here. It is a big deal to make sure that it's right. And we looked a while back at the marks of salvation in the first part of chapter two, but yet here again, John wants to show that a lifestyle that really tells, really tells where the heart of a person lies. It's true that what you practice shows your position. And as we clarify here, we must clarify what John is saying when he talks about the practice of sin here. As he speaks of practicing sin or living in sin, or as he says there, whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. We must understand that John here is speaking, when he speaks of sin, of the habitual lifestyle of sin. You see, John in no way here is advocating for being saved and abiding in Jesus and then all of a sudden never sinning again, never blowing it. He or nor any of the other New Testament writers ever advocate to that. We are all sinners. All of humanity is born a sinner. And even as you're saved, you're in Jesus, but you're still a sinner. You will blow it. And nor is John here speaking that if we sin and blow it occasionally, that we're not saved. Rather, what John is speaking of here What he's speaking of and talking about in this section of Scripture is the practicing of a lifestyle of sin, living habitually, unapologetically in sin with no conviction or desire to repent. It's this lifestyle of lawlessness which is in that sin, which is what sin is, understand, that John is talking about here. It's the practice of sin. And John doesn't mince words here. We see plainly as we read, he shares honestly that the child of God is not going to practice lawlessness because they belong to the one who is manifested, Jesus who came in flesh to deal with sin, to break the bonds of sin, to take away our enslavement to sin. And he puts strong language to it, no doubts. What does he say there again in verses eight and nine? It rings loud and clear as he says, he who sins is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. And for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. And whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. It's very, it's very simple. It's very plain. Practice, again, it shows our position. And John wants there to be no mistake. And he's going to do this again. Again, good pastors repeat themselves. John's going to repeat himself. He's going to do this again because he wants the reader to know that as a child of God, they are blessed. The believer is blessed, but he also wants the reader to know that a child of God will look like and desire to look like their heavenly father. They will and they will desire to look like their heavenly father. And to not do so is to leave room for question. 
to not do so, to not have the desire, to not walk in a way that seeks to live according to the Lord and to live according to his word. To not do so is room for question in the life of one who seeks to say they are a believer. To be able to live in lawlessness and sin without the desire to repent or the action of repentance, without the conviction of the Holy Spirit, something that's brought about by that anointing that we talked about last week upon their life. Understand that that's room for question about whether or not that individual is a child of God or not. Again, verse 7 is so clear. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous just as he is righteous. And understand, this is not a works-based salvation message that John here is speaking to. It's not a, a, a work it out so you can be saved. He has already shown that that's not the case. But he's showing one who is in Christ, truly saved and living with the Holy Spirit dwelling within them. They're not going to be able to be living with a lifestyle of sin. They will practice righteousness. If Jesus is not the Lord of one's life, it's a different story, however. It's a different story. The Bible is clear that practice shows position. Those who are a child of God practice the things of God. Those who are not, they don't. It's simple. It's clear. And so as we see these honest words of John today, the question begs to be asked, and it's a simple question but it's one that is vitally important. Are you a child of God today? Or as John puts it, and it may be harsh, it may be blunt, it may sound weird because we don't talk this way in our culture, even in our church culture, which is sad. Are you a child of God today or are you a child of the devil? And understand, again, that sounds weird, but if you question that today, whether or not you are truly a child of God, as you ask that question, you should ask that question. If you question that today and question the legitimacy of your relationship with the Lord, then something needs to change. And perhaps you ask the question, you're like, I'm not sure. Well, again, look inwards to your life. Look this past week. Look at this past week, this past month. See what you were most concerned about. Was it the things of the Lord or the things of this world? Was it the things of the Lord following after his word and the plan that he has for your life, seeking that out, seeking to know him, seeking to be holy as he is holy? Or is it pattern after more of what the world is about, what John talked about just a few weeks back? What is it, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life? What is the world system represented in a nutshell? Are you more concerned about the things of this world and the things that make you feel good and make you happy over those things that make you holy? Because that absolutely matters, friends. And it's a telltale sign of where you're at. It's a telltale sign of your relationship with the Lord, either being existent or not. And so today, as we're talking about here, we're not talking about the occasional sin or blowing it here and there. We're not talking about that. We're all going to fail, probably today. And Jesus' blood takes care of that. Jesus is faithful. John has already spoken to that. As we sin, we ask for forgiveness. And the Lord is faithful. He's faithful to forgive us of all sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that as we still blow it, the Lord is still gracious. But if your life and your lifestyle represent that of unrepentance and that of practicing what the world says is okay, and there's a lot of things that the Bible says that are not okay, that the world is becoming more and more okay with, well, if you find that your life more so represents that, then there is room for question. There's room for concern. What we're talking about here, this evaluation of our lives and our lives' allegiance, either for the Lord or, for, or to the devil, and upon evaluation, as we ask these questions, we should act appropriately. Acting appropriately, friends, is something that we should be about. 
And the appropriate thing to do, my friends, if you find today that you are in a relationship with Jesus, that you ask the question, and I encourage you to do it, and you're like, yeah, me and the Lord, we're solid. I am a child of God. I have taken that finished work of Jesus, applied it to my life. My life reflects that. Well, then praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. Keep on in that mode of operation. Don't stagnate. Don't deviate. But continue to walk forward. Continue to have the desires of God at the forefront of your heart and minds. Continue to live into that position as a child of God. And know that the Lord is there faithful to help you. Again, what we talked about last week, that anointing, that Holy, the Holy Spirit indwelling and living within every single believer, that's there for our benefit, friends. It's a part of the blessing. It's a part of the blessing as the Lord wants to teach us the truth of his word as we read it. He wants to speak to us as we pray. If you today ask yourself, am I truly a child of God? And you come to find out that, yeah, my life lines up with that. Praise the Lord. Stay there. Stay there and encourage those around you to stay there as well. Or encourage those around you to become a child of God as well as the opportunity is available. But if you perhaps today find as you ask the question, and again, I encourage you to ask it honestly that you're not a true child of God. Maybe you grew up in the church, and so in your mind, you're like, I'm in. Maybe you grew up with a grandmother that went to church, or a mother that went to church, or a dad or a grandpa that went to church, and you're like, I'm in. I'm a child of God. Let me just tell you today that God doesn't have grandchildren. No, he only has children. And so what you and I must do is make sure that we have made the decision personally to be a child of God. Again, what Paul outlines there in Romans for us to confess, for us to understand and to take upon ourselves the true salvation that is offered to us. If you need to find yourself in a position of saying, yeah, maybe I am, maybe I'm not. And you look at your life and say, oof, and I'm still not sure. Then it's an important thing enough to act appropriately to that unsurety and say, Lord, I don't know where I'm at. But Lord, I want to be where you have me. I want to be where you want me. I want to be where you, Jesus, died to, to put me. And to call out to him. Know that Romans 10, 13 says that all who call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. That is a faithful remark by the, by the Lord. The mark of his faithfulness is he is ready to save friends and to adopt you into his family. And it's all possible by the finished work of Jesus Christ. It's all possible by what we're about to remember here in just a moment as we take communion together. It's all possible because of God's radical love for us. And so today, as we observe that radical love by remembering it through communion, as we've today sit here and, uh, sat here and talked about our position, our ability to be in a position as a child of God, today, if you are a child of God, praise the Lord, stay there. If you're not, then Jesus is ready to save. And Jesus died so that you could become a child of God. But don't make the mistake, as John here is pointing out, to think that you can live a life that is opposed to the Lord, that is in every way in opposition, and claim that sonship, claim that daughterhood. Because the Bible is explicit that that's not the case. Practice always shows position. And so where are you today? As we close out, I encourage you to ask that question. If you are unsure, as the Men are, are about to pass out the elements in just a few moments. If you find yourself unsure, hey, I would love to talk to you about that. I'll be down front. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Because that work that Jesus performed on the cross, his death, his burial, his resurrection, it's for you. It's for me. It's for the whole world because God so loved the world. And so today, friends, 
Ask the question. And if you're a child of God, a true child of God, stay there. If you're not, know that the Lord is faithful and he desires you.